Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Hi, yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week's cast includes Lisa Baker King, Meredith Powell, Adam Corinne, and Richard Balamuki. And we are so excited to have all of them on here. Now, if you're wondering, hey, Mike, how do I learn about these people or how do I learn how to get a hold of them? You simply go to our website and you go to everydaymindfulnessshow.com and you'll find them. Who's ever on that episode, you can find them, you can link to them, you can contact them. Now, every week our show starts off frequently, I said every, but it's actually frequently by an inspirational quote or something I read that made me think about this topic. And this week, that's from the book Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. Here was the quote that caught my attention and made me want to dive into this discussion on finances and mindfulness. The quote is, you have to... Give your heart to the goddess of wisdom. Give her all your love and attention. And the goddess of wealth will become jealous and follow you. Now, once again, that's from Christopher McDougall's Born to Run. Lisa, we're going to start with you. How does someone stay on a mission and mindful when money is a struggle, either ongoing or constant for them? Oh, I, I love, love, love that question. I think it really goes back to, and, and I'm talking from a, a personal standpoint, because I've had this happen in my life over the last uh, several years of, uh, as I've started a business. It, it's about celebrating what finances can do for you instead of what it's not doing for you or what you perceive that it's not doing for you in that moment, right? So it's knowing that at this time in this space when money might be tight, when finances are maybe not in as much abundance as, as they once were, is, is recognizing, hey, you know, the finances that I have today are doing these things for me. They are funding a new business. They are putting a roof over my head. They are feeding my children. It may not be at a place where I need it to be quite yet, but there's so much that it is doing for me that I celebrate those things and it allows me to keep a perspective about myself and keep moving forward in a way that I'm moving towards the vision that I have with my life and my business and, and where I want it to take me. It just helps me move forward towards that bigger vision. 
Well, I love the idea of what is it doing for me? Because in our culture, it's always, what am I doing wrong? How am I failing or blowing this situation? Especially with money, the idea of how am I blowing through money? But this idea of, wait, look at what we do have. If if you do have a place that's over your head, hey, there's something to be happy for, or grateful for, or appreciative for. I guess the balance to that is someone thinking, okay, if I do focus on all it's doing for me, Is it possible I sink further into trouble because I'm not paying attention to the trouble I'm into? I'm just so focused on the positives. Is is that a danger? I think it can be. It's about having that vision. So if I have a vision of what is important to me and my family and to my life, what ultimately is going to fuel me and make me happy, that's step one. And then step two, I have got the diligence. I I have the due diligence to take the necessary steps to have the behavior. I guess that's a good way of saying it, to have the behavior that's going to match what that vision is that I want to accomplish. I think if you have those ingredients, then you are less likely to fall into a trap where you're making poor decisions, where your behaviors aren't matching your vision. You know, this is uh, Richard, and I was with a friend a couple of days ago who is worried about credit card debt, and she came up with the joy of the present moment of being broke, and the joy for her was, I'm going to park all these credit cards, I'm going to not spend money at the grocery store until I've gone through every single item in my closet, and she really got a lot of joy out of that. Oh, I love that. I love that. So what, what's a great way to help somebody start that process? Well, I'll, I'll dive in. This is Adam Corrin, and um, this is exactly what I help people with. I'm a financial handholder, and the people I help are those who are really challenged in this area. Oftentimes, just starting with having a friend or a professional, just someone there with you who's friendly, who's non-judgmental, who's compassionate, and can just be with the person in that struggle and then face it together. All right, let's pause right there because I know a lot of people, even myself at times in my, you know, over the years that now I don't have this, but before I really understood working with a financial advisor, there was this idea in my head, and I know a lot of people have this, that that this person's going to look at me like I'm an idiot for the choices I make. And <laughs> yeah. so so <laughs> there's, there's this fear of judgment from the financial advisor concept, even though it might not happen at all. And so they don't even seek one because they don't want to be looked down on for poor choices they know they've made. They have this guilt, this shame associated with them. So how does somebody find the right professional to help them, that right financial advisor? What are certain things to look for, factors, aspects? Great. Uh, I can respond to that. First of all, it's how you feel with the person, whether you feel like there's a rapport, whether, of, of course, there are credentials and expertise. Uh, so I'm, I'm going pa- to pause even right there. How do I even begin to search for the right person? Like, in other words, before I even sit down with that person, how do I begin the journey? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Richard. I, I think the place to start if you're looking for a financial advisor is look for somebody who is a fee-only financial advisor, somebody that's going to say up front, this is the fee I charge to to do this work for you. If it's a straightforward fee, you know there's no ulterior motive, there's no product placement, they're not trying to sell you something. They really are working in your in your best interest. 
this is Meredith uh, Powell. This may be too simplistic, but I've always thought one of the greatest places to look for a financial advisor is to turn to people whose financial lives you admire. They earn money, they save money, they are charitable about whatever it is, and then ask for references and referrals, just like you would if you were finding somebody, finding a doctor or, you know, finding, you know, a personal trainer or something like that. But because they'll already have a relationship and good reasons why they use that person. And it will it will help you achieve the financial goals that you want to achieve. All right. Very cool. So now we've done the search. Now, Adam, we go back to you because I sort of I cut you off there, but I wanted to make sure people could know where to even search that process. So you were starting to say, so now you sit down with them. Yeah, and then so rapport being important in that, and there's another uh, another factor I want to bring up, which is that people come to these conversations or to you know listening right now or sitting down with a financial advisor from different places. So some people just love this kind of stuff and are tuning in today to get additional tips that they maybe maybe learn something. Some people know it's important but are a little hesitant about it. And some people just don't feel like an adult at all in this area. Those are the the, the people in that third category tend to be the ones I work with where we we just go really slow and just kind of take whatever baby steps are are the next things to do. So people are in different places here. This is Richard and uh, I don't think anyone should ever feel reluctant to see a financial advisor because their situation is so out of control or so unorganized because as a financial advisor, when somebody walks in the door with a complete mess with no planning and nothing done and nothing done well, I almost have a sigh of relief because it's a blank slate. It really makes it exciting and fun for me if somebody walks in the door with a complete mess. And will a financial advisor work with anyone at any income level, or are they looking for certain value and assets? That's 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 what makes a search really difficult, because you might find the most wonderful financial advisor in the world, but you may not qualify to work with them. So you've got to dig a little deeper and, and find somebody that specializes in your income strata. Awesome. Well, this is great for helping people find that person, that resource that can make a huge difference. I know personally for me that that shift when we got the right advisor and first we had one good advisor and then we transferred to another that just helped us take it to the next level. And it was it's a huge impact on our lives. So let's say that somebody either is going that path or chooses not to. Let's just talk about the day to day of the financial world in our lives and being mindful and not feeling the stress because you hear two different sides of this discussion. You hear the side that says, watch every penny, note everything you do, you know, almost be incredibly anal about every penny ever spent. And then you hear the other side that says, put it in automation and don't worry about it. All right. And those are two different extremes. Both can be very freeing and yet dangerous what you know the idea that it's automated can be very freeing but can be dangerous the idea of being really anal can almost become obsessive and now it becomes controlling of your life because everything is that i remember i think it was uh, d chap popra that that once said you know if the millionaire is worried about the next dollar they're just as broke as the homeless person because they all have the same mentality uh, and I loved that concept. How does somebody balance all that out? What's what's 
to have a, a place where they can feel safe and centered in their life with money. I think Lisa, this is Meredith, said it so beautifully at the start when she said, first, you've got to create your financial vision. What is it that you want? Because, you know, money is whether you have $100,000 or $20 million, um, how people spend it and what they do with it is so different. So having that vision first and then sitting down and really establishing, being honest with yourself in a non-judgmental way of where you are. And then your confidence and your safety will come from making progress towards your financial goal. You don't have to achieve it, but your mindset, your feeling towards money will change as you move towards the progress of that vision. And again, that can be baby steps. Yeah, and if you have a vision of, let's say, accumulating a certain amount of uh, assets by a certain age, I think you can do that without being a obsessive along the way. So maybe the automatic part is you say, I'm going to put 10% into my 401k and I promise to pay off my credit cards at the end of every month. And I'm going to enjoy my life on a day-to-day basis and not fret about what I do and don't do as long as I can pay the credit card off at the end of the month. So the automatic part is the 401k, which is getting your long-term goal. Paying off the credit card every month is preventing uh, going backwards. And that gives you the freedom on a daily basis to do what feels good on a particular day. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll jump in. This is Adam. So, uh, again, the people I work with are the ones who struggle with this stuff the most. So all of that is are, those are good tips. And what I find is that gets in the way for the people I work with is often shame and isolation. And the shame is often about it leads people to feel, I don't even want to look at it. I it's too painful. It brings up too much regret. So one of the things I do is just sit with them as we just look through their transactions. And so they get to feel their feel the shame and feel connected and accepted in that. And that's where mindfulness and, and wisdom can come from. Okay, maybe next time I won't do that particular purchase. Uh, I think next time I need to plan a little better and maybe do this. But it 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 takes uh, sometimes it takes some some support and just having that awareness. Adam, this is Lisa. I just love what you said there about wisdom, and it just kind of got me thinking. You know, when when people sit or when we sit down to go through this financial planning and we decide to get our financial health in order, as, as it were, having the wisdom to say all right, I I started out on this track, but give yourself permission to know that that track can change. And it probably will, and that's okay. I think the most important thing is to continue to have those conversations. Adam, you said it well when you talked about a lot of people live in isolation with their financial planning, because there's a lot of fear around it, right? If we have somebody that we can talk to, a spouse, a financial planner, a significant other, sibling, somebody that we can bounce these ideas off of, and then, like I said, give ourselves permission to change that plan when it needs to change, but as long as you're having that dialogue. So, for example... Somebody might have an idea that they they want to retire at at a certain age, and we start along that path. But something could come up in life that says, you know what, really, I want to help fund my granddaughter, grandson's college education. So there's a change in that plan. And 
I know, especially when folks are getting started in their financial health and in their financial planning, they sometimes think that they have to stick to a rigid plan, but it really is a fluid thing, you know, just, just like our life is, right? Well, and I love the uh, concept that you said, Adam, about that isolation. I know personally that when we were starting, I've started a few businesses in my lifetime and organizations, and where it it really went into financial debt to get off the ground. And I was okay with that because I believed in the mission we were on and what we were doing, but yet humiliated that I was in that place. Like I was like in my mind, I would say, that's okay. That's part of the journey. But as long as no one else knows, like that, that's what was, that's what <laughs> right? was going on. Yeah. And so yeah. you didn't want family and friends to know, which is so weird because if I was struggling with working out, people have no problem going on Facebook saying, where's a good trainer, everyone. Uh, I, I want to get in better shape. Like you see those conversations all the time. Hey, I need a new doctor. I need a new, and, but when it comes to finances, there's such a level of no one can know that this is my weakness and and that really impacts mindfulness. I mean, the, the the whole idea of that guilt and shame just takes away the ability to be present for my financial situation without judgment, which is the whole idea of mindfulness, being able to talk about it and feel it without judgment. Where does that come from? And what's a way people can help themselves avoid that trap? You know, this is uh, Richard. I frequently give clients a copy of a Thich Nhat Hanh book called You Are Here, because people need some basic mindfulness training. And what I tell people, if you can just read the first 10 pages of this book once a day for four or five days, it'll just give you a feeling for living in the moment and getting over the stress about worrying about your future and the stress of past mistakes and really help you live in the moment. So I, I keep a stack of this little yellow book in my office and I, I hand them out to clients that appear to be extremely stressed about where they've been and where they're going, and it kind of helps them get back into the moment. Michael, I have, I have a, a thought about where it comes from, which is that hundreds of years ago, it was very, very clear where what one's role is in society and who's above you and who's below you and who's at your level. And now in, in our culture, that's not obvious, and yet we still have this innate desire to know where we fit, where we belong. And so our cues come socially. It comes from how we dress, how we now, how we present ourselves online, you know, the, the car we drive or however we're presenting ourselves. And that's, while that's something we have control over, that's what creates the self-consciousness. And like you were saying, Michael, about, well, I, I can't let anyone know that I'm struggling in this area because that... Part of that is the indication that, that you're in lower status. So I think that's part of why there's so much isolation and lack of conversation about these things. And, and this is Meredith. I think a lot of that, too, comes back to, again, going back to a, a lack of vision. We tend to, we're, we're addicted to instant gratification, and then we're moving around without thinking. And once you really do sit back and figure out what you want financially, then you have a touchstone to make financial decisions. And and I don't think that that's something that we're, you know, we don't really talk about money in school or, or anywhere in life. So we grow up without a lack of financial education. But it, but it really can be as simple as sitting down and figuring out you know, to Richard's point, I mean, how much do I want to have to retire or accumulate? And then using that as a touchstone and a decision-making point as you make as you make decisions on how you spend your money. 
And you've got to own, is this really the priority, right? Because one right. of the biggest problems is you're sitting in front of that financial advisor and you go, yes, this is priority for us. And 48 hours later, there's this opportunity to do this other thing and you do it and you realize, well, maybe that's not such a priority for us. Well, then you need to own that, right? You need to be able to say out loud, no, that's not a priority for us because that's going to change this whole plan if this isn't sincerely a priority. And I think sometimes people feel the pressure that I must say that this financial goal, oh yeah, I'm determined for it. Well, you are in my office right now. But what, and I think an interesting question to ask people is if you set that vision and that goal, what would be something that would entice you off the plan? Because if you can start to name that stuff, it really lets you see your decision-making down the road potentially and help you make better choices. You know, Mike, I think you're making such a good good point too and what it's making me think about is how much you need to be clear no matter how much financial advice you get about what you want with, you know, you, your significant other, whomever, but what are your goals and, and then seek advice from there. But you've got to be really clear on what it is that you want and, and maybe not being guided in, in those decisions. And there is no judgment, no right or wrong there. And I think a good financial advisor, if you sit down with somebody and they, they have a goal and you look at their current assets, you look at their age, you look at their income, you know that goal is just not realistic. A good financial advisor wants to help a person set a realistic goal because if they set an unrealistic goal, they will never achieve success. They'll always feel like a failure. So you've got to have goals that are achievable and achievable in such a way that you don't end up locking yourself in a room because you can't afford to buy a pack of gum. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. It's so controlled that you've lost freedom, and which is the whole purpose originally, to have that financial freedom, right? What is language you think that can help people feel better about financial for themselves? Like, for instance, I, I do morning affirmations where every morning I read my affirmations. And one of them that was important to me was I trust in our financial foundation. It, it just yeah. helped me set the tone for we're okay. We're good to go. Uh, everything's going to be okay. And it takes away the worry element. What's language that all of you find is helpful either for yourselves or clients, people you work with? I'll, I'll jump in. This is Adam. I use lots and lots of acknowledgement. And I also do a lot of normalizing. So, you know, what we're talking about here in this conversation about just how common it is uh, for people to, to be struggling and, and that they're not alone in it. And oftentimes people have no idea because these real conversations about money with detail, specific details, are so unusual, even within families, yeah. that just helping people realize that they're it's okay that it's normal to have debt millions of people have debt things like that so the normalization and the acknowledgement both make a huge difference and so i love that normalization right that i'm not i'm not the one yeah. percent in this situation i might be the 25 yeah. percent. i might be the 60 percent in this situation so i'm okay that I means there's something wrong with me because of this right that's a part of it What's the exactly. what do you mean by acknowledgement? That's the normalization, right? That that I'm I'm still normal, like I don't have to feel like an oddball here. So what would be yeah. the acknowledgement side? I was just acknowledging a client yesterday for her vulnerability, which was just I mm -hmm. could just feel it throughout our work together and just the way that and and again, these are my clients are people who really struggle with this stuff, even struggle to look at it, uh, much less really work on it. So 
And often I'll acknowledge my clients for their courage to face this stuff. So that's a couple of examples. So would the, would the specific language there be for someone to say to themselves, I'm being courageous in building a financial future or I, I'm willing to be vulnerable enough to transform my financial future? Is that the kind of language they could say to themselves? If they're listening right now, what's language people can use for themselves? I find what's helpful is soothing. So for example, a lot of people feel like they are behind with whatever timeline, whether it's retirement or just whatever debt they have that, you know, like you were saying, Michael, there, there's something wrong with me if I have debt. Um, so things one can say to oneself are things like, it's, it's okay to be just where I am. Everything is okay right now. You know, I acknowledge myself for actually listening to this right now and, and, and thinking about my relationship with my money, just those, those kinds of things that are kind of buoy one's self-esteem. For me, it's a, it's a quote, is, is something that I reflect on, which is, it's, in all labor, there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And to me, that means any action, any movement forward is leading me towards my goal. It's about moving the ball forward. Lisa, I so agree with that. This is Meredith. The the, um, the words that, that I use and I share with people is to say, I'm making financial progress because that's forward movement and that, and that should be celebrated. Yes. Yes. Love it. All four of you have just been sensational today. Are there books that you find are easy to jump into, read, and really help people along, along this, this pathway or an individual book that you have really found? I love The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. So it's the story of King Solomon. Very cool. I love Thich Nhat Hanh's You Are Here book, which is not a financial book, but I think it's a great primer on mindfulness, and I think it can really help people put their finances in perspective. Yeah, one of, one of my favorites is called The Art of Money by Barry Tesler, and it has a similar kind of approach to what I'm talking about, really bringing compassion as well as the visioning and long-term thinking that you were talking about, Meredith. Yeah, Adam, that's the one that I was going to say, but I'll just throw in there too, I mean, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I mean, it's a simple book most people have read, but I think it's it's just a great introduction to not worrying about the external and focusing on the internal. Love it. I want to thank all of you for joining me. For all of our listeners, that's Lisa Baker King, Meredith Powell, Adam Corinne, and Richard Balamuki, which all of them you can find on our website, along with freebie downloads that we have for resources on these discussions, all at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And until next time, may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. 
and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.